Welcome back to another episode of Donkey Kong Artist Podcast. I am Patrick Shanley, one of the three hosts that make up the mighty tripod that is the Donkey Kong Artist Podcast. Joining me as always is Edmund Arnold and Colin Codega. How are you guys doing today? Doing phenomenal, Patrick. How are you doing today? Uh, pretty good. It's actually it's tonight for once. We're recording a night podcast. I think this is the first time we've ever done this. Colin and I are like off right now. Yeah, it's like, it's spooky. It's all dark out. I'm scared, guys. You show, I'm drinking a beer, which is more acceptable than when I normally drink it at 9 a.m. when we're doing these Whoa, uh, whoa Patrick, Pat, hold on a second. Are, are you of age to drink a beer? I just need to double-check that. I do have a youthful face, and I understand that a lot of people don't think I'm old enough to drink one, but I am. Uh, also, it's a special podcast because joining us for the first time ever, I think, except for that one time she made a cameo, is my fiance Alexandra Mosier, soon to be Alexandra Shanley. How are you doing today, Alex? I'm doing very well. That's it? That's all you have to say? <laughs> this is why she's not on the podcast. That's, yeah, that's all I have to say. <laughs> I'm excited to meet you. Her. I think it's good to have a woman uh, <laughs> at least have some voice on this podcast for once, actually. We never had, we have like zero women on our podcast. Uh, because this week, people lost their minds over the fact that there was a woman in World War II in the trailer for Battlefield Five. The backlash to this trailer was so out of left field to me and bizarre, the way people got so angry about a woman with a metal arm in World War II. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw anything about this, but it was insanity. Yeah, it, it, uh, it's, it's ridiculous the amount of anger people get over stuff. I mean, but uh, this is the second game in a row for Battlefield. This has happened back when a um, Harlem Hellfighter, was the, a black man, was on the cover of Battlefield 1. There was an insane amount of uh, backlash there. So, one, I think it's just, you know, shooter fans, when it comes to, like, Call of Duty Battlefield, get mad over the dumbest things. And I think I saw someone on Twitter, I think that sums it up great. They're like, hey, if you're really angry about a female on the cover, just wait until you find out that respawning wasn't actually in uh, war. So, it's ridiculous. And, like, the big argument is that a woman didn't fight in World War II. That's what they're standing on. Is that why they're so upset? I think they said it's unrealistic. Okay. That that's their argument. Yes. Okay. All right. I, I just I haven't followed it enough because I've seen like the arguments that I've seen about it have been that it's getting away from the battlefield formula, and I've read like multiple people talk about how battlefield has always been grounded in reality, and the fact that this one is very fast paced and very colorful takes it away from that, and I'm like, when has Battlefield ever been grounded in reality? So, uh, Battlefield 2, Bad Company, all about jokes and things like that with your crew. Are you guys yeah. Battlefield fans? Have you played the other Battlefield games? I'm like, I'm kind of a novice to this franchise, so I don't even know what people are getting upset about, because I haven't played the other ones. I got Battlefield 1 for my Xbox that came with it, and that's literally the extent of my Battlefield knowledge. I really enjoy Battlefield Four? Was that the one that wasn't broken? Or Battlefield? No, Battlefield 3. I put hours in the... I think we were in college when Battlefield 3 came out. Play Battlefield 4. I think the last one that I burned out on was, like, Hardline. Yeah, I want to say, like, 
Eddie and I both, because we, we were in college at the time, I feel like Bad Company 2, when that came out, um, we put a lot of time into that. That was my first exposure to Battlefield, and I've played it pretty much every game since then. And I think it's, it's a lot of these gamers don't, one, they're just getting outraged over the dumbest things, but also... For some reason, there's this idea of, like, Battlefield's more realistic just for the fact that it's slower than you Call of Duty. Slower. Yeah. It's slower than Call of Duty, but it's not realistic. Like I said, you can respawn. You can, you know, it's not like this is, like, a one-line game and it's permadeath or something. Like, I don't know. It's, it's, shooters, fans of shooters are just some of the most ridiculous gamers, in my opinion. I say that as a fan of shooters and just seeing the, like, I'm not shocked by this one bit that people are upset. And they're upset because she's in the game and she's on the cover, right? Right. Like, well, and the metal arm, too. There's people upset oh, that, that okay. like, oh, like, a female with a disability would never be in World War II. Like, I think I read on Twitter, a bunch of people were like, this is the most um, extreme human conflict of all time. And now they're, like, tainting the image of World War II because it's like, are you serious? Okay. Okay. I'm just trying to wrap my head around the rage of the Twitter spheres and gamers of these days. Because it's just, you can't make them happy anymore. Well, I mean, gamers are pissed about everything. To play devil's advocate a little bit with this, obviously when you think of World War II, you don't think of females on the front line because even if there were females on the front line, and there were, by the way, and I looked up a lot of this, and I, I suggest everyone do this because it was a very fascinating story about a uh, Russian sniper who had over 100 confirmed kills in uh, World War II. was amazing to me. Uh, I had never heard that story before. But I will say this. I understand sort of where these people are coming from, that like you don't think of women in World War II when it starts. But at the same time, it's like, who cares is my bigger issue with it. Like it's it's gonna stop you from buying the game because there was a woman on the front of it, and also, like everybody else says, when did we ever think of these as like realistic portrayals of what World War II actually was? And also, that wouldn't be a fun game. That'd be horrifying. Nobody would actually want to see that. Like you want to spend a realistic portrayal of World War II would be you play for. 14, 17 hours, right, with, like, one dude who becomes your best friend, and then the next three hours of the game, are you trying to stuff his intestines back inside of him after he gets shot by a German? Is that what, is that what you want? That's your, that's your dream game? Angry Twitter nerds? It's very dark, very dark, but I agree. And if you want a realistic war game experience, why do you have a console? That's my, that's my main argument. Go build a PC, because if you, there's so many realistic games on war games on PC, and you don't have to worry about that. So if you're really, 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 really upset about the lack of in-depth, realistic war simulators, go out and build you a PC and download Steam, and you have a multitude to download from. I mean, it's, yeah, I don't know, I really, I think a lot of these uh, shooter fans, I mean, they're going to they're gonna buy the game regardless. Like, these men that are upset are not going to not buy the new Battlefield. As soon as it comes out, they're going to get it. And I, I also, I wonder if they're going to be shocked when they find out that battle packs um, and loot crates weren't also, they, they didn't exist in World War II as well. So, what? I don't know, I feel like there's going to be a lot of revelations for some of these people. So, I'm eating a peanut butter cup and it's delicious, but it, it slows my mouth up. <laughs> I know, but peanut butter cups are delicious. <laughs> All right, so let me ask you this. I understand 
Well, so I understand that people laughing at the people who are getting so upset about this because, like, shut up, this is ridiculous. Nobody's expecting realistic depictions of World War II in a video game. But I want to not focus just on the female angle of it, which I think is ridiculous in the same way that people are so pissed off about, like, a black guy in World War One in the first, or in the last Battlefield game in Battlefield One. I do kind of want to focus on what I think is a, not a complaint, but more what the industry is headed towards. This was like a more over-the-top, colorful version of World War II than we've seen. And it felt a lot more, and people have said this, I don't think it feels exactly like Fortnite, but you can almost kind of feel a little bit of a Fortnite influence in the trailer that we saw. Do you guys feel that too? Am I the only one who feels that way? Yeah. I think you're the only one that feels that way. I, really? I didn't get like a Fortnite from it. I, I feel like it's more colorful, and I'm more upset with the fact that it seems like we're taking light of what happened during World War II. Right. And I know that's like kind of a social justice warrior stance, but like World War II, I, think there's, I, I don't want to get into a history lesson, but a lot of bad shit happened in World War II, and you're making light of something <laughs> where a lot of people that are, are still alive were affected by the actions that happened in that war. So I, I think if you're going to be upset about anything, I would, it would be better for you to take the stance of these video games are starting to make light of these major world events, especially given, and I'm getting really liberal right now, especially given all of the gun violence that's going on and things like that. I, I mean, I would understand more if people took a stance like that rather than the stance of they're taking my realism away from my video game. And they're making it more of like a. It felt. It feels more like an Overwatch, right? Rather than Fortnite, where it looks like like the different characters are standing out in a way that characters have never seen. Like there's a dude that's a sh shirtless and has a mohawk, and like the female with the with, with like the mechanical arm. So I, it just seems like they're making light of the fact of what happened in history, and that bothers me a little bit. I'm gonna. I don't think you're a SJW at all. Thinking something like that, I think that the very first reaction I had from it, and I was surprised to go online and see like the reactions to something I had no problem with. But it was that it's like, when did this horrible conflict, which cost millions and millions of people their lives, become just like fun, fast entertainment? Where it was just like, ha ha, yay! It's World War II. We get to run around and like kill people's sons. <laughs> like this was. The one of the worst, bloodiest global conflicts that ever occurred, and like now it's like, oh, it wasn't, it wasn't bloody enough. What would have made World War II cooler was if you could jump around with like a grenade and blow up a Panzer tank. Like that's what that's what was missing. If I could editorialize World War II, that's what it feels like. It's like a group of studio heads being like, how do we make World War II cooler to appeal to kids? Oh. It's, I mean, I think it's a direct response to what Battlefield 1 was like, and with, I mean, I don't, I didn't get a Fortnite vibe, but actually now that I think about it, I think the colorful Fortnite, like, movement, a lot of games in Overwatch is a little bit more cartoony. One, I think it makes it easier for people to, I don't know, Battlefield 1 is super gray and dark right. and very somber. So I think they're going for a different vibe, and it, honestly, it seems like it was something that was created in a boardroom in EA. Like, it's not like, this doesn't seem like a creative team. This is a bunch of executives being like, we need to make shareholders happy. We need a new direction. Um, so let's make it more colorful. So, but, yeah, but also I think with, with the whole World War II thing, 
it's been a steady decline since Saving Private Ryan, in my opinion. I think Saving Private Ryan really, the movie, opened up a lot of people into seeing it. It was this very somber, gruesome movie. But from there, you started seeing Medal of Honor. And I remember Edmund and I, when we were in seventh grade, we used to play the D-Day level in Medal of Honor over and over again, like high-fiving while we shoot stuff. It's, it's been a steady decline. And, it's, and I'm not saying that's okay, or it's like I feel good about saying that. But we have become desensitized with a new World War II shooter coming out every single year, every single year. And then these studios at the same time being like, how do we keep these players still playing these games and moving moving the games, uh, letting them evolve over time based on the video game like standards and shooters? And why are we still, I don't know, I'm, I don't want to harp on this so much, but it's like, how many World War II stories do we need to do? Especially when we're sensationalizing them. Like, if you wanted to make this game, why not just make it in the future and you can do anything you want and you have carte blanche to make any characters you want? Why does this have to be based on a real-world conflict? Because people are sick of playing the games in the future, and this is where the trend is, right? So we had, what, all those all those Call of Duties and the Battlefields that were taken... And did it Battlefield go in the future, actually? Or well, did they, they do more modern they, stuff? They, it was more modern, but, like, Bad Company, too. I, yeah, I don't think they ever did They never did the future. future. I don't think they That was all Call of Duty. Yeah, but I, I don't know. It just seems like people were sick. From what I know is that I, you heard a lot of, like, people that were into the first-person shooters multiplayer that were getting sick of the wall-running, the futuristic guns, and they wanted to get back to that gritty old-school style. So a lot of people were excited about World War One. But my thing is, you have a wealth of wars to go into, and the, um, like specifically with the United States, you have a wealth of wars to go into. Why not explore something else? And why not try to do something that has never been done before? Yeah, where's like, the Spanish-American war? Yeah, Very underrepresented. No, I, I don't see any Spanish-American hey, war. Where's, where's my War of 1812 game? That's know? all I want! <laughs> the, the War of 1812, let's go. But like, you have the Korean War, you could do some stuff with that. You have, like, the Vietnam War that no games want to touch because it was so controversial. My question is, is why is World War II so, like, why is it so accessible? Is it because I, Saving Private Ryan? I, I, I think there's the Saving Private Ryan. I think there's also a nostalgia for World War II. And, uh, because we won? Yeah, no, I was yeah. going to say, I think there's a lot of people who don't want to touch a more complicated, like, Vietnam game because you have to, there's a lot more politics to it. When World War II, there was politics, but it's a lot easier to gloss over it and just be like, this is the war to, the World War uh, Two. It started, you don't even have to go into the details, but I feel like you could get a little too, like, get more political commentary on, like, Vietnam or Korea or something like that. Sure, also, I mean, like, why do we only focus on the Europe part of World War II and not also focus on the Pacific part of World War II, but much easier to do something set in Europe than it is to set something in the Pacific. But that was also, I mean, like, this was a two-front war, and you only see one front. Well, who can reject the killing Germans? Or, I mean, Nazis, sorry. <laughs> because they're, they're, like, the ultimate bad guy throughout history so who and then it, it gets a little shady if you're going to japan right well also i mean world at war um call of duty world at war was the pacific so there has been one game okay. uh, and it wasn't a very great call of duty but i think also one thing to play devil's advocate on like shooting nazis is like but also in these multiplayer modes you actually have to play as nazis yeah, that's true. And, like, in World of Call of Duty World War II, it's like, I'm running around with people, and they're, like, yelling, like, in, like, German, and I'm like, this is, this is kind of weird. That's true. Yeah, it's just, I guess time heals all wounds, is what they say, and it's been, what, 70, almost 80 years now since World War II? It just, just, it just feels weird, you know, because, like, 
I don't know about you guys, I'm sure you did, but like my grandparents fought in World War II, so it's like, to me it's entertainment. I sit on my couch and I drink a Slurpee, which is branded with Call of Duty, and I, I play through the conflict that your best friend died in. can you milk that cow? I mean, like, at, at what point are we, like, we're over World War II? Like, it hasn't happened, but, I mean, like, can that happen at some point? Like, how, how long? I think, I think that, I mean, in, it's, it's going, going in waves, but I think the reason why we have Call of Duty Modern Warfare 4 was because of yeah. the fatigue over World War II, and that completely changed the whole first-person shooter genre. Yeah, because back in the day, you remember, all the Call of Duties were based in World War II. There right. was no other... And all the battlefields were based in World War II. The first battlefield is Battlefield 1942. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it was always based in World War II for these games for the most part. And then, yeah, the Modern Warfare 4 is the one that, that really uh, changed it. But those games seemed like they were, like, an homage of World War II. Like, they were trying to teach you something. Because I remember playing those games. Like, and you talked about the D-Day level. The D-Day level... There was, there was a greediness in that level, and I remember, like, running up to the beach that first time, and you were seeing people dying left and right, you're like, okay, this is really capturing what war feels like. I think Battlefield and Call of Duty is getting away from that with these fast-paced action games, so now it's just like, let me get my kill count high enough, and it's not really resonating, it's not really sitting with you what happened then. Because after playing that D-Day level for the first time, I know we played it millions of times, it really sat with you, like, man, this was heavy, that, a lot of people died, they, those people risked their lives for the freedom and the safety of everything that was going on in, in Europe at that time. And now it's just like, well, let's let's make some jokes with this guy without a shirt and a mohawk. With my robot arm. Hey, Josh Demel, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah, well, I, maybe, you know what, this has more to do with the way people play these games now and the addictiveness yeah. of multiplayer. You know what, it's like the single player. My bad. But is it because they jump to this more modern style of warfare where things could be lighter because we're at risk? Because we think about it, they never went to the Middle East and these models, like, they never did anything. We did that? In, in the Modern Warfare games? Did they go to the Middle There's East? There's literally a nuke dropped in uh, Modern Warfare 4 oh, in no the Middle shit. East. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, I yeah, no, that. oh, no. A lot of Modern Warfare, uh, Call of Duty 4, as is like. Oh, I see. I, I haven't played 
them in so long, I thought they were big. Literally, the, the, the opening scene is like you are in the perspective of like a, if I remember this correctly, Soap McTavish. Rebels and stuff. Yeah, no, it's, it, they definitely went there for the Modern Warfare games. Did it resonate with you, though? Was it like something where they, like, Modern Warfare 4 campaign, actually? There yeah, were a little bit. Moments, but it's in a Call of Duty sense where it's like, I didn't, I don't sit there and be like, wow, these writers really were trying to hammer out a great story. I think they write in five or six set pieces with crazy crap that happens, and then they fill in the plot between that to make it flow. And why am I even... <laughs> nobody's even playing these games for the plot anyway. You do it because, like, you have to play it if you bought the game, I guess, whatever, because, like, you bought it, you have to play the plot. What I love about the new Black Ops is that they're not even doing a campaign because who the crap cares? Like, do I really want to play... Same thing with Destiny, too, by the way. Like, why am I playing through your half-baked, just garbage story that a third grader wrote? Like, I don't care. You can't write. You have no sense of story. I don't care. Just give me the multiplayer, and, like, let's call it a day. And then if you do that, then, like, no one's going to get upset about, like, having a female on the front lines with, like, a robot arm. Because who cares? It's multiplayer. Yep. No, I, I completely agree. I remember, I think it was Modern Warfare 2... And there's a ton of controversy for an airport scene where, like, the yes. bad guys just start unloading on... It was crazy. Yeah, and it was crazy, just unloading on civilians in an airport. And that was when I started hitting the point when I stopped caring about single-player the whole time. And I was just like, this, this is not objectively, like, included to make this a great narrative. It's, it's shock value. It was mm -hmm. definitely, like, one of those things, like, we want people to talk about this. Because do you remember the story from that game? No one remembers the story from that game. You remember that scene. I don't remember how that scene fits in. I have no idea. I literally do not remember at all. But I do remember that scene. And it's exactly what you said. It's just shock value. You just put it in so you sell titles because, like, oh, my God, did you hear about this scene that happens in this game? No one cares. And now what we've seen from, like, fantastic games like God of War, it's a perfect example, is that, like, people in games actually write good stories so, like, you're giving games a bad rap because of how crappy and half-baked your stories are. Yeah, but no one's playing a Call of Duty in a battlefield for a good story. But, so then why are they even in there, is my question. Exactly, and I think that's where, like you said, Black Ops is getting away from that. Like, Colin and I talked about, the, we're, we're probably going to see a lot more multiplayer games get away from that. But that doesn't mean that we still can't get good war games because like we still got spec ops which dropped a couple years ago valiant hearts valiant hearts that's actually a world war one game and it is awesome right. that is a great war story so this war of mine was another really good modern warfare game where you're playing like three survivors where you have to like basically manage resources in order to stay survive like stay alive and there's some heavy stuff in that game so there are good war games out there just seek them out and don't expect your Call of Duty and your battlefields to bring you a realistic portrayal of what's going on in war. And if you're going to get mad about that, you're stupid. Well, yeah, and it's, <laughs> people that are getting mad are still going to buy it. Yeah. They're still going to support the studio. And if also, if your stance is, I'm not going to give, like, I love this game and I have so much fun, but I'm not going to play it because there's a female on the cover, like... Get out of here. Or because it's not grounded in realism. Could you imagine if I would have been like, I'm not playing Mafia 3 because they're making light of racism? If I would have taken that stance after watching a trailer, I would have missed one of my favorite stories in a video game ever because I have a stick up my ass. So it's just like, just chill out. And you're judging it off the first trailer. It's the first trailer and it's like a minute and 30 seconds long. We have E3 still coming around the corner. We don't know what this game looks like. I think people just want to be mad to be mad. What? No, Twitter would never do that. 
one thing too, I think um, I I'm gonna give EA's team. Um, I'm gonna give the team making Battlefield. I'm gonna give them a slight benefit of the doubt just for the fact that vignettes in uh, Battlefield One, a lot of the stories instead of having a cohesive like single player that just goes from start to finish, they have like miniature like stories, and you would follow like a tank crew or something like that. And it was different historical stuff. They actually, you can tell, they put time into like researching World War One. Um, they put time into the actual people that were fighting in the wars. So that's one thing I do want to call it. I feel like they actually, in World uh, Battlefield One, did try to take an approach where they made a. I would say it was like they took a, a responsible approach to covering World War One. But then again, most people are going online to play massive multiplayer games where you respawn every five minutes. Yeah, well, it, it really looks like this game is going back to Bad Company, where you have like a group of people. Surviving together, they're probably going to knock out a couple of jokes, things like that. So I, don't, I don't know, man. I don't know. Every everything's all shooters are team based shooter anyway. So this is all your fault. This is all your fault for supporting those games anyway. I feel weird, like even talking about this game. Like I don't know what the future holds. Like if somebody gives me like a review copy for this game, like I'll play it because it's my job. I have no intention of playing this game. I don't care about first person shooters. I really only like care about games that have stories in them. Like, I like multiplayer, it's fine, it's fun, but, like, what's the difference? Like, uh, if one is the same as any of the other ones, so what do I care? Like, I already have Call of Duty World War II, I already have Destiny 2, like, I don't need Battlefield Five. like, you, you're meaningless to me. Like, you're, you're just a carbon copy of 80 other games that already exist, I don't care. But, that being said, I'm not the market for this, I am not upset by the trailer that they have for this game, uh... What I thought about the trailer looked all right was, like, the graphics looked fun. It was, like, a lot of excitement going on. It's clearly not gameplay footage. Um, I just don't care about the game because it's, like, 85 other games that come out every single year. And that's more my question is, like, why do we need another first-person shooter set in the past? Uh, who... Who keeps buying these? And, and people do, and they sell like crazy, but, like, who is buying a Call of Duty every year? I used to. Why? <laughs> it's, the same that buy, it's the same people that buy a Madden every year. Well, who does yeah. that? At least that is, like, a new roster. So, like, I understand that part of it. I See, you, Pat, you game a little bit differently than, like, majority of video game players are. They, like, the industry has... Literally, they dangle the carrot every single year, and they could make these games last a lot longer, but there's a lot of money to be made, and you come about it realistically and with logic. Uh, other people are just addicted <laughs> to the and want to play it, and like, I, I can't tell you how many times for a while I'd be like, I'm not buying Call of Duty this year, and right when it would come out, I'd be like, I'd see all my friends online playing, I'm like, wow, well, shit, okay, now I'm buying Call of Duty. I haven't bought a Call of Duty or a Battlefield in the last, like, two to three years, I think years with Battlefield One. Yeah, and it's like it's and it's it's not only that it's your friends that peer pressure you because I have like a group of friends that are just like every time I get on like buy Battlefield, buy Battlefield. Or they'll send me a message like oh like, buy Battlefield, and it's like you see everyone playing it so you buy it, but it's like a cell phone, right? You get a little upgrade for a whole lot of money, and it's just like a little thing that they could have added over DLC over the year, but they just added some little things and then they re-release the game. Like a rescan or whatever, what have you not, and it's sixty dollars. It's just an easy way for them to make money, and it's been going like this for so long that I think the industry and all of us are just so used to it that we don't know how to change it. 
Dude, and we're too lazy to change it. Oh, Eddie, two weeks ago, you were losing your mind about how Nintendo was reselling a game for the Wii U. Oh, I don't, buy, I don't buy these games anymore, though. I don't buy Call of Duties. I don't buy Maddens. I don't buy the NBAs unless they're on sale. I don't touch them anymore because it's the same thing every year. And it's just, if I'm going to buy it, I'm going to buy it. Like, if I'm going to purchase one, I'm going to pick it up, like, every, I don't know, three or four years if or if there's some big major change. Because, like I said, it's just, it's a waste of money. It's a waste of money, and they're not doing anything to provide anything new to the consumer. And to me, that's disgusting. So that's why I don't take part of it anymore. I mean, good. I've, I've, I never bought into it anyway. I don't know. Like, uh, like Colin said, I, I'm a weird gamer in the sense that like, I don't really even consider myself a gamer like at all. Final Fantasies, and what's different in a different Final Fantasy? The story is different in Final Fantasy. It's a completely different game yeah. every time you buy it. It's actually like a prince or someone, and then they meet some weirdos, and then they do some weird quests where they kill some weird <laughs> person, and then they do like a bunch of like chocobo stuff. I was going to say, there's chocobo, <laughs> maybe some blitzball, and boom, we're good. And then it's like, uh. <laughs> I'm going to drive up to Richmond, California, and burn your house to the ground. I was going to say, I'm like, I just could picture Pat's, like, veins in his forehead slowly popping out his head. <laughs> like, aren't there, like, aren't there all their names, like, Squall in all the movie and all those Final Fantasies? What no, names Sid. There's a Sid in Sid. every Final Fantasy. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> but at least those Final Fantasy games, at least they take, like, a million years to, get, to release a new one. So it's true. Like, you know, they it's also... They also take a hundred hours to play through, like, the story of them. So, at least I'm getting my money's worth out of them. Call of Duties and Battlefields take a hundred hours for you to get through them, if you want to prestige multiple times. So I have to do that. Well, I do, yeah, every time. I'm always like, ah, oh, it's really important to me to prestige. My thing is, is Cloud is the same person as Squall, and Squall is the same person. It's all the same thing. Eddie, you're so wrong, and I hate your face so much. <laughs> Hey, while we're, while we're at it, hey, Pat, you know who's the best uh, protagonist in all Final Fantasy games? If you say just, Titus, Titus I'm going to punch your face! <laughs> I knew that was going to get you angry. Yeah, Titus is great. Oh, my God. All right, well, we spent a serious amount of time on shooters, so <laughs> there was a... So sick of talking about shooters. This is the second week I've had to talk about shooters. We need to get Colin off the podcast. At least, at least, at least Black Ops last week, like that. We were talking about like the whole. That was it was shooters, but it was also talking about like games moving to like more of a subscription model or something like that as a platform. So at least that was different. But yeah, shooters. I'm I'm definitely fatigued by them, and also I don't know. I'm just like I think I'm a bit more into single player games these days. You know what I'm really fatigued of? What? Woman in my video games. Thank There's you. so many. There's so, There's so many of them. Especially on covers, because it's not like every cover <laughs> is a guy looking off into the distance, holding some sort of gun, not making direct eye contact. And, um, yeah, it's not like every video game. Like, I'm telling you, look up most video game covers. If you look side by side, they're pretty much all the same. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, fun. I, MLB <laughs> The Show is Aaron Judge just holding the AK, looking off into the distance. Um <laughs> I mean, it's just him holding the bat. I mean, re replace gun with something it's not else. That's that different. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, that is. That is a good point. All right. Well, we brought up single-player experiences, and um, a game that I really enjoyed, and I finished uh, early last week I finished this game. 
was uh, Detroit Stay Human. Um, if you want to read a review, I have one up on the Hollywood Reporter. Uh, Eddie has been playing the game for the last two days. You haven't finished it yet, which I'm not surprised by. The, the narrative is pretty long for this type of game. It's not long. I mean, you can beat it in a weekend, I guess. It's about 20 hours, maybe 15, 20 hours. Um, but it's one of those games that you replay a whole bunch to try and see the different ways that things could play out. It's a Quantic Dream game, which comes with some baggage, which we will get into. Uh, I really liked this game, regardless of whoever made the game. It was mostly well-written. I don't want to spoil anything. The ending, not just the ending, the last, the third act is just, it's so bad. It's like seventh grade writing. Um, <coughs> it is. But the acting in this game is amazing. The visuals in this game are absolutely stunning. I mean, like, Alex, you, when I was playing this game, like, the, you could see the, the pores of the characters on it. It's insanity. Um... So I enjoyed it. I really did. I think um, they put forward a good product. It is not close to Game of the Year status by any means, but it was an enjoyable game with a, a surprising narrative in lots of ways and it asked a lot of moral questions. Eddie, what are your thoughts so far on Detroit, stay, uh, Detroit Become Human? Sorry, Because uh, you're about halfway through is where I'd say you are. Yeah, it's, it's entertaining. There's some... Some interesting story beats that are keeping me going. It's it's a little weird to play it, especially given the allegations that David Cage is facing and the Quantic Dream team is facing, given their workplace harassment charges, or not charges, but the, the things that have been said about the workplace harassment and uh, other things like that. Uh, like I said, it's, it's, it's a weird game to play, especially given what they're trying to do with it. Um, it's one of the most beautiful games I've played. I played the scene last night where there's an interrogation scene, and, like, you can see the android's lip cup quivering as you're getting him more, like, getting him more nervous about what's coming on in the future. Like, I, that really, like, resonated with me. It's like that bottom lip quiver. I've never seen that in a video game before. But it's just weird. Like, something that stuck out to me is, like, that first scene where you're Jesse, uh, what's his name? Jesse. Williams. Williams. Jesse Williams. Yeah, you're Jesse Williams' character. And, like, you get into the back of the bus. And, like, the way it's separated. I don't know. I just, it just sat, sat away with me that it didn't, it, I didn't really feel comfortable with. Yeah. Especially the fact of, like. Sorry, I don't want to interrupt you, but just to, to hit on that, because obviously we have different experiences playing through this game. So as a black man in America playing through this game, it I don't even want to say that, but I mean, like, what are your experiences playing this as opposed to what my experiences would have been playing this? Because it's pretty heavy-handed early on in the way, like, it portrays, portrays the androids and the way they, like, they're treated. Yeah, you know, it kind of... I'm getting on my soapbox, but it kind of bothered me that the two androids that get physically assaulted are the black man and the woman in it, um, and that's like straight off in the 30 minutes into the game, so that kind of didn't sit well with me. And my thing is, is like, I understand what you're trying to do. Like, you're trying to allude to the civil rights movement by using androids. You don't want to use any different races. I, I get that, but do something different. Like, don't just bring the Jim Crow laws into your video game and act like you're doing something revolutionary. Because we all know Jim Crow laws. We all seen Jim Crow laws. Like, think of a new... And I know this sounds weird for me to say, but think of a new form of oppression to use in your books or your games or your movies or your TV shows. 
Like, how many times do we have to see Jim Crow laws or concentration camps or what else do we see in this game? Um, I, and that's all I've seen so far in, in this game. And it's just like, do something different because it's just, it's just, and then you don't allude to anything, like any real world things that have happened. So I don't know where, how, where, what's happened in this world. I don't know if it's the actual United States. I don't know if it's a parallel universe where racism has never taken place and there's never been a civil rights act. Because there's no illusion that these people have been through this before. So that's that bothered me as well. It's like, oh, these androids are going through so much problems and they're going through so much persecution, yet no one, and maybe this happens later in the game, no one steps up and says, oh, this has happened before. Let me help you or let me step in and let me do something in a way to allude to the fact that this is history repeating itself. Right. So it seems like he's not taking account of that actual people suffered through these things. I'm just using it as a narrative device to show how pretty my androids are. Sure. That, that kind of bothered me. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm, less, I'm less annoyed or, like, bothered by it, I guess. Uh, I do think it's a plot hole. Not, not even a plot hole. It's just, like, lazy writing in a sense that, like, yeah. 20... It's only set 20 years in the future. And the fact that, like, an android... Like, literally what's happening to androids is mirrored by our own history and nobody thinks to bring that up even the androids themselves who are like fighting for this like right. if you're going to be making these claims why don't you just allude back to things that are happening and there is a dearth of they never address any actual racism racism between humans and humans in the game and it's, it's just bizarre it's just a big missing hole and it's easier to just look at the game as like an alternative history as opposed to like a continuation but the very first line in the game before you even start is this is not just a story this is our future that's what the game says when you start it so clearly it is supposed to be set in our world and that is that's just a major oversight i mean that's hard to cram into a narrative in a game but still it's like if you're going to tell this story tell this tell the story I guess my question for both of you, and I have not played this game, and and I, I don't know if I'm going to play it. I did like Heavy Rain, but um, you need to go prophecy. But I, I don't, I don't know. There's just something about this game that, that just doesn't rub me well. But um, how would both of you say? How do they use the actual like city of Detroit? I know since there's no, I just find it interesting. There's no references to to previous history when Detroit has such a history of. Um, you know, race tensions, riots, and whatnot, and just a lot of, um, also a lot of progressive ideas came out of Detroit through those, uh, through a lot of bad things and crazy things happening. It, yeah, how do you both feel about that? Pat, would you have even known you were in Detroit if the game's name wasn't Detroit Becoming Human? I would at the beginning of the game when it kind of focused on it being Detroit, but then other than reading the magazines that I read throughout the game, and I read every single article in every single magazine throughout this entire game, and I actually thought that was the best writing in the whole game, was in the magazines. Yeah, um, I thought the magazines were fantastic. Whoever was in charge of that directly did a phenomenal job because those magazines are amazing. And the world outside of what's happening is actually more interesting than what's happening in the Android. Because there's a world... There's a world war looming in the Arctic. Arctic. There's this guy who created these androids and the, like the different problems that the androids occur, like having sex with your androids, sending them into space, which I thought was the most interesting thing of everything was sending androids into space because that would be right. Isn't that the most interesting thing? Like the sports, yeah. Football player, like that was awesome. Like the guy that can like throw. What was it like? A hundred for end zone to end zone, it can hit like a 12, 15 inch radius. Like right. I thought that was pretty cool how they were showing like the inclusion of androids. And I, I absolutely agree with you, though. News stories 
like everything that was on television and everything that you could pick up and read was more fascinating to me than the story so far. So does that just mean everything that David Cage didn't actually touch is the good part when it comes to the narrative then? Because like I feel like the anim the the cinematics and the visuals and the actual choice progression, um, how they designed the flow chart of when you finish a chapter, oh that's you go amazing. Back, it's amazing. I, I just feel like if, I feel like if David Cage was not included with this, like can someone else take a similar thing but then actually write something that's meaningful? Because no, he is the easiest writer. Look, I understand where you're coming from, and I do, and I get it, and, like, it's it's also, like, it can be trendy to hate on David Cage right now, and I'm not even talking about any of the allegations against the studio. There are genuinely well-written parts of this game. Uh, there's, there's certain scenes that are, like, they're really, they're heartbreaking, and they're touching, and they're well-handled. It's just, as a whole, it's missing a lot of pieces, and it feels like... It's half-baked in the way that it doesn't really touch on real-world things, especially if you're going to set it in a place like Detroit. And they they right. do not, to answer your earlier question, they do not ever bring up the racial tensions in Detroit. They don't. It never comes up in the entire game. Um, but it, there are... It's such a weird game because it, it's, a, it's a good game. It borders on being a great game at times, frankly, in my opinion. Um, but it is missing a lot of those things, so it just depends what you're looking for from this game. And... I don't know. I, I understand what people are saying about David Cage and like, oh, it's this try-hard, like, I think I'm making this amazing think piece. And it doesn't do that. But at the same time, there are parts, especially early on with Marcus and Carl, I think, are the the most tender, like, well-handled pieces of, like, characterization. Uh, They're fantastic. Oh, You don't man. like them? He, 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 he had that, like, super, like... Houseway mentality to him that kind of bothered me, and, and that and that's what I like about the game. You know what I mean? Because like okay. your perspective, what was happening was completely different from my perspective. Because I was all about the artist until his son started beating him up, and he was telling the android, you know, shut down, stand down. And I was like, all right, that's a houseway mentality. He looks, he looks at him as an item. He doesn't see him as a human being. But he is an item. So, but he alludes to the fact before that he kind of sees him more than just being his android when he's asking him to make the painting. True. And then he's asking him, he's telling him that, like, he can make his own future. I'm not going to be here forever. Um, and even, you know, he even, like, treats him like a son. Yeah. And all of a sudden, when a real son goes, comes in, it's all of a sudden, this is my dog. This is my item again. True. So, like, it was very tender up until that point where and they, like, kind of, like, took me out when the... And we're spoiling. When the artist starts dying, I was just like, well, that's what you get. Right. So, well, know, like, but let me let me stop. So so then, because we both have very, and this is, this might be giving more credit than it's due, but to say this, a mark of good writing is to generate conversation, correct? And yeah. if we both took very different things from that storyline, can we at least not say that that was well written? Because it, it, oh, it offers I, itself I different perspectives. Think a lot of parts of this game is actually pretty well written. It's just the overall, and I agree with you. I think uh, the overall, like real world themes, is where he misses in it. And I, I still, again, I, I still have a little bit to go. But the fact that he never, ever, ever alludes to any of this happening in the past—that bothers me. Yeah, never, and by it, the way, never, not one single time. Yeah, and, and that really bothers me. But you're right, like. We can both take different interpretations to everything. Like I, I really like Kara's story. Um, I, I, I might people can disagree with me, but the way that they kind of 
portray the domestic violence test she's going through, the young lady's going through, and the way that the drug abuse, the consistent drug abuse that the dad and his, like, male, frail male uh, identity is kind of being demolished by the, his wife leaving off of the accountant, and how that kind of, you know, just dictates all, you know, there's a lot of psychology being played there, and I, and I, I don't see that uh, explored much in video games at all. So, I, you know, I appreciated the writing behind that, and I didn't think he was trying mm-hmm. to glorify it or he was trying to use it as a narrative device. Mm-hmm. I think he was really trying to show, like, this is a drug abuse is a problem that affects a lot of people, but he just, you know, he doesn't ever touch on it. You know, you have to go and you have to read those news stories to really allude to the fact that this is, the, that, that drug in the, is basically crystal meth. Right. He's kind of alluding to crystal meth there. So, uh, and, and you know, and I think the weakest part of this whole game is Marcus's story so far. I think his story is kind of fantastic in a way that's not really grounded. Like, he's killed and all of a sudden he gets rebooted and now he's like a leader of a revolutionary. So that part, I'm kind of like, but you know, Kara's story and the cough story, Connor's story. And Con- Connor's story is really fantastic. Connor's the best. If the game was just about Connor, it would be a five-star title because Connor is incredibly fascinating and really, really deep. He's, he's the best character by far. And he's the only guy that feels like an android. Because yes, seems thank like you. feels like he's actually learning and adapting. And conflicted about around. being... Every, everybody else was way too easy for them to not be androids. Connor's the only yes. one where it's like you feel his conflict. It was like they wrote the game for Connor and then they were like, someone in the studio was like, oh, we need to add more diversity or something. <laughs> so they added other two characters. And the stories are so good, but it just doesn't feel like they're as... It feels like Connor's a realized... And I haven't played, you know, Connor's a realized android. Like, they really put a lot of depth in what it is to make... Like, you're seeing some progression in Connor's story, whereas you didn't really see any progression in Kara's story or Marcus's story. Right. I enjoy being Connor the most. It's also unfair because Connor has Clancy Brown in his storyline, and Clancy Brown is the best ever, so... <laughs> I didn't even catch Clancy Brown in this. Oh, he's his partner. Yeah. Hank is Clancy Brown. He plays, Oh, really? I didn't yeah. catch that. That's Mr. Krabs. Okay. Really? He's that, and, and, you know, I don't know if you've, you've thought this, but, like, the first time they're in the police department, that exchange was rough to me. Oh, yeah. I don't feel like that well, I well acted at all. When he was talking to the chief, when him and the chief get in their first fight, uh-huh. that, that just felt really off to me. Like, the timing in that conversation, the voice acting, that was the only part to me that I was like, ugh, this is kind of corny. I didn't listen to that, that part. I walked into the funny. back and I checked out on the prisoners. Oh, I didn't see that. I didn't, ooh, I didn't do that. That's what's great about the game. There's a lot of different stuff to do. Um, just because Eddie and I could talk about this all the time, and I want to work Colin into the conversation a little bit. Colin, can you can you tell me, other than, do you not want to play this game only because it's not appealing to you, or do you want to not play it for other reasons that have not so much to do with the game itself, but more about the situation around the game? I, I think I need to give it some time before I can give it honest, because I just have read so much, like, toxic and negative stuff about it. I'm hearing from both of you, like, describe it. I, I would say my interest, I'm, I'm coming more around to wanting to play it. Um, I, from hearing you guys talk, watching some streams and reading uh, reviews and a couple other podcasts, it seems to me they're really good at nailing down some um, certain scenes and interactions and really building tension and drama from um, really... Some, to be frank, like horrifying situations, and they're really good at, at creating complex situations. But the overall 
flow of it. Um, just, I don't know. Also, I, I've read about a lot of what happens in it too, so I don't want to also go into detail and kind of ruin it because I, I want, I'm curious to hear from once Eddie finishes it. Be curious you two like Same, yeah. go into detail what you think because I think the ending sounds interesting. I know there's a lot of controversy over that, but I, I, I don't know. It just seems a little a little tone deaf. It just seems to me like it's a like I said. I I, w- I would prefer someone else trying to take this on, but. You know, it's, it's, it is what it is, and I did like Heavy Rain, so I'm sure, like I said, it's a stunning game, it's beautiful. I would just like to see other writers take a stab at it, because David Cage, I've never really enjoyed any of his narratives that much. Like, Heavy Rain, I enjoyed the flow of it, I liked the decision-making, but the actual story, I didn't, I wasn't blown away by it. I couldn't even really go into full-on detail on Heavy Rain. It wasn't anything special. No. It was just like a sun god. I mean, the, the shocker, the twist at the end was pretty good, with Shelby being the killer the entire time, but, you know, it was essentially a kidnapping father, you know, overcoming all odds in order to, like, help his son. I feel like the side characters in Heavy Rain were more used for plot narratives, or rather than having fully realized, like, what was the uh, woman detective character? Name. I don't think she's ever been given a good story, and I don't think that the main cop it looks exactly like Connor and Detroit becoming human. I don't think he was ever getting a fully realized story. So I think that's where um, David Cage suffers is that he always adds multiple characters, but he doesn't really know how to build effective narratives around the old character, all these characters. And I, and I have to disagree with you, Pat. That flowchart's terrible in my eyes. Because it's really affecting the way that I'm playing. Like, I can't go through a scene because I'm always opening up the flowchart. Then don't see, like, how many branches. That's it's on cool. you. No, they put it in there for that reason, though. Like, oh, look at us. Look at us. Look how many branches of narratives we... They, they don't need it. Look how many narratives we have. And the only reason he did it is because that's one of his major complaints is that there's not a lot of branching narratives in this game. So the only reason why he included it in this game is so he can show people, like, look, at, look I'm spelling it out for you. Look at everything you can do in my game. That's I did crazy. not realize that you could pull it up in the pause menu, like, during the game, until, like, 75% of the way through the game, I paused randomly and noticed there was a flowchart option. And then I was like, oh, well, crap, now I have to reference this every time I go through a game to make sure, like... Because you just hold down R2 and look for, like, things you can do, right? Right. Right. And so once I knew that there was a flowchart that I could just check while I was going, all right, fair enough, it's a fair critique. Yeah, I, I, just, I just think it's... He did a lot of stuff that's like, he tried to address the complaints, you know what I mean? And I feel like all the complaints that he tried to address, it just didn't, it didn't pan out. And it's it just like Colin said, this game is really tone deaf. It, it's still entertaining, don't get me wrong. It's entertaining, yeah. I'm engaged, but I can't take this game seriously because he didn't... It didn't seem like he did his research in the history of the United States, and that's really bad, especially coming from a French studio. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Again, like... <laughs> Sorry, Pat. Yeah. I think one thing I do have to call out is that I have to remind myself that it is entertainment, like Eddie was saying. Like, this is supposed to be a fun game. Like, David Cage isn't going and making this game to be like, I need to make a statement and change the world. I need to... Um, but also with, you know, the, this gameplay aspect, I feel like it's always going to put a much bigger spotlight on the actual narrative and story and how it flows and what the, how the characters actually develop. Um, but like I said, I think I'm more angry about some spoilers I read in how the story plays out and some of the mechanics with the androids and stuff that I think is just stupid and lazy and... Yeah. 
that's what I'm excited. You know what's really stupid is the only thing that separates you being able to tell an android from a real human is this stupid little thing in their hand. Which they can take out. That's that's okay. So that that's that's one okay. So that's one of the things that I got super fired up. And yeah, if you're waiting to play this, you may want to pause, turn off. But um, yeah, I I read about like how the androids just at any point if they take it off, like it skin grows back automatically. Right. And it's just there's and there's even crit like in my opinion, there's even the only way you can tell androids are androids is the way they dress and that little thing. On top of their head, and they can easily take it off, and they can easily change their clothes. Well, don't they wear shirts that say Android on it? Yeah, their number on it. Like, they're making model on it. So, like, and that's the only way you can tell they're Android. So, that, that, when I saw that, like, the, Jesse Williams' whole transformation to, like, a real human, like, Pat, you said. Grabbing a jacket, yeah. <laughs> I was laughing my ass off of that scene, because he's just, like, he puts all these robot parts, like, just randomly scattered in a dump. Thank God they have all these parts for him. So he rebuilds himself, and then all of a sudden he's walking out perfectly into the coat for him to grab. Grabs the coat, puts it on. I rolled my eyes at that. But yeah. it was still entertaining. Yeah. But it was super corny. So. Well, and that's, and that's, like, I'm not, if I ever turn on this game, it's not going to be like, I need to see an Oscar, like, caliber performance. No. I need to have the most well-written narrative. And that's one thing I try. It's, it's one game, but I think also there's so many other video games out there where I'm like, I'd rather just go back and play. But, and I, but I think you can critique this game for its narrative because this is a game that it's... It's only it's about the narrative, game. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I yeah. think we, we are in the right for critiquing oh, it for its narrative. Absolutely. It's also, uh, look, I, I, I feel like I'm really lame and I just bring it up all the time, but like after playing something like God of War, a game that didn't even need to be about its narrative because like it's an action game, to see a narrative like that and then go into a game that's only about the narrative... I don't know. Again, like, this game is not a masterpiece. I would recommend you buy it. But, I mean, like, if you're looking for masterpieces, there's been, like, three in the last year, and this is not one of them. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point, but, like, because Detroit Becoming Human is really heavy-handed, and a lot of the themes are kind of just, like, pushed in your face. Right. Like that, you know, the bus scene. You walk right into the bus, you go straight to the back. Right. God awards everything small-handed. Like, their big reveals were done in a way that was just, like, they basically whispered that shit to you. They're like, oh, yeah, you know, and we're going to spoil it. I'm going to spoil it. They're like, oh, yeah, Atreus is Loki, you know? You know, and no big deal. No big deal. And I really appreciated that. And then the way, like, you find out that um, Atreus' mom is a giant. Yeah. Like, oh, that was really good. And it's done in a way that's not, like, egregious. It's not done in a way that's, like, out of nowhere. You kind of have, like, the threads all of a sudden. So I I really, I really appreciate it. Yeah, and Eddie, I mean, like, those are the big plot points. Let's just talk about, like, uh, I don't know. I could just talk about God of War all day, all the time. But, I mean, like, we're just talking about the little things of, like, the way he touches his son throughout it. Like, where he's afraid to touch his own son, and then later on, the only thing that calms him down is to touch his own son. I mean, it's, that game is beyond... You want to talk about Oscar caliber, like, story writing, like, God of War is a masterpiece in every way you could possibly look at a video game or a story. It is phenomenal. I just wish God of War had a We Have a Dream option on one of the dialogues. (laughs) (laughs) So is that real, Pat? Because I saw that theme. Oh, have you not gotten there yet? No. Is that, that's a real, Oh, that's that thing. It's not just real, it pops up like four different times. No. No. I wish you could all see Eddie's face right now. Oh, yeah. No. Okay. Oh, it happens like multiple that. times. Multiple times. 
See that? Now, okay, I, I gotta get to that part. Actually, oh, all right. Well, we're gonna have I a spoiler cast. Brown, Jesse Williams, and I'm like, okay, this is where we're going. Well, he's dreamy, so. so. That is true. He looks very good in that game. Oh my god! Everyone that the, the captures are so good in that game. It's. Uh, the game is so beautiful. It is a well, staggeringly beautiful and, game. And I just gotta say one more thing about that graveyard scene. It's like one of my favorite moments in a video game this year. Is when you put your auditorial implant back yes. in. Yes! Oh my god, thank ear, you. It's like that screech you hear, and then like the transition to like that heavy brain fall. Yep. Which is so remarkable to me. So, like, the little moments in that game are really good. Well, plus, like, the lightning and wind and everything. Like, I've seen some, like, scenes where you have, like, crazy dark uh, settings, but you have all these, like, lights coming from the skies. So it looks like they, the props to the designs yeah. for that game, because they really knocked it out of the park. Oh, they, this game is, just... it is gorgeous. It is really, like, I mean, people would walk by when I was playing it, like, people would, like, stop and just look at the screen. Yeah, it's so good, you don't, you can't tell that it's actual real footage on the TV sometimes. Honestly, yeah, like, I mean. I was just like, is this real? So yeah, it's pretty amazing. Decent game, six out of ten so far. If, if I would buy it on sale, uh, buy uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's worth a playthrough, frankly. It's yeah, it's good. It's good. It's not great. All right, so we're about to wrap up the podcast. Uh, going around the table, see who what everyone's playing. Pat, I'm curious to see what you're playing. What are you oh, into right now? I actually have a new one for once. I got Dark Souls remastered. Uh, I've never played Dark Souls before. I am loving this game so much. So how's what is what's your build? What kind of character are you playing? Uh, so I didn't know. Okay, so I picked up this game not knowing anything. Um, and I'll tell you a little bit about the game. I picked it up not knowing anything about this game. Never played it. Never played a Souls-like game ever. I picked the default character, which is like a warrior, I think is what it was, or a knight. Um, I wish I would have done Thief in retrospect. I got this game, and I got a review copy, and I got it like three days before it launched. I didn't realize how big the multiplayer part of this game was. Um, so when you played alone, the game kind of sucked, and I was like, I don't really want to play this game, it's horrible, and like, I just kept dying, I was like, this isn't fun. The day that it went public, or like, where people could buy it on like a Friday, I logged on, and there's like a million people playing, so I could summon people to my world, and everything changed, and I just love this game. I played it for like, 12 hours over the last like, three days. Wow. Wow. I love this game. I, yeah, and, and, and I mean, I think that's awesome, because I mean, the Souls-like games are so hard, but, um... That's cool you're getting into that genre, because there is a lot of games over the last three or four years that have really been trying to copy um, what Dark Souls has really been able to nail down. It's like the single-player battle royale genre. It's like the hot thing right now. Good, I love it. I'm really excited because I love this game, and I'm going to beat it in the next, like, two days, so I have more ones to look forward to. Yeah, once you get through that, I highly recommend Bloodborne. I think um, it's a PlayStation exclusive, uh -huh. and I think you would really enjoy that. It's a lot quicker. It's quicker. It's a little faster, but I I enjoy the um I enjoy the setting and like you know just the art style a little bit more. That's just me though. Cool. Who's your favorite boss so far? Um, I play. I just beat the gargoyles. The two gargoyles. Uh, okay. Okay. I'm gonna pick it up. I've never played it. I'm, I played. I played Bloodborne. I played Demon Soul, but I never played the Dark Souls. It's, it's only forty event. bucks. Like, pick it up. It looks. It looks all right, not compared to like coming off of Detroit, become human, but it looked good. Okay, it gets the Edmund stamp of approval, being a remaster for forty bucks. That's what I'm talking about, baby. <laughs> Woo! All right, Colin, what are you playing? Um, I just got Xbox Live Game Pass trial um for the holiday weekend, so I have downloaded Sea of Thieves and State of Decay two. Um, we'll see if I put some time in that, but I've been playing Bioshock one um and Red Dead right now, so I'm kind of into some single player games and 
I, I really, besides Mario Tennis Aces, it's like my life is just waiting for Red Dead 2 right now. Nice, nice. Cool, cool. I'm playing, um, if you haven't noticed, we have updated our Donkey Kong Artist YouTube channel. Go ahead and check it out, subscribe. I have State of Decay 2 tutorial walkthrough, and I just posted another video. We have about, like, a, two hours of gameplay video of State of Decay 2. I really like it. I think it should be called State of Decay 1.5, but it's the same stuff. Scavenging for supplies. You can fight humans now. I had a really good exchange today where I went to a human camp, and they were hoarding weapons, and they wouldn't give me the weapons, so I threatened them, and the lady threatened me, so I shot her head off, and shot another of her friend's head off, and then they surrendered her gave me all their stuff. So I really enjoyed that. Um, also playing Curse of the Blood Moon on Nintendo Switch. It's like a Castlevania spiritual successor. That's been really fun. I've never really played a Castlevania game before. It's really hard. So I've been like playing, going between State of Decay 2, Detroit Become Human, and uh, Curse of the Blood Moon on my Switch. Nice little trio right there. You got the whole gamut covered. Yeah, you know. The Holy Trilogy right there. We got, that's some, that's some uh, diverse array of games right there that we're all uh, playing right now. Since like I feel like ever since God of War, it's just kind of been like, hey, what, what should I play now? It's sort of, I, I mean, like I when a huge play. game comes out like that, it's like, what's what do I do now? Well, it's not even a huge game. It's a fantastic game. Cause I, I, I had a hard time playing something after God of War. I don't know if you guys had that. Oh, no, I had like too, a hangover. You know, like, it's like your first love, and then she leaves you. Yeah, and you physically can't touch anyone else. Right, and then so. you're stuck with somebody named... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you end up at the late at night with some 300-pound woman named Faye who calls you daddy. What is happening in your life right now? <laughs> hey, Faye's coming over in a minute, guys. Leave me alone. Oh, Come my God. Alright, uh, yeah. well, I want to thank everybody for listening. Also, tell us what you're playing. I don't think we've ever asked that before, and we're kind of rude. Uh, so whatever games you are playing, please let us know, and we'll tell you why it's a crappy game or a great game. Um, you can find us on Twitter. You can find us here, wherever you're listening to us. We're on SoundCloud. We're on iTunes. We're on Facebook. We are also on YouTube now, as Eddie mentioned earlier, and you can watch his awesome uh, Let's Play videos. Uh, I will also be uh, trying to post some videos here pretty soon. And we are also online at DonkeyConArtist.com. And we have a lot of great articles going up. We're kind of kicking into gear a little bit on the website. Yeah, it's starting to look nice. We have a Fortnite article up. We have Days Gone preview up right now. So go to our DonkeyConArtist.com, read up, leave a comment. Let us know what you think. All right, thanks, everybody. We love you so much. Goodbye. Love you. Yeah. No Eddie face here. Okay. Thanks. 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 Thanks.